I'm Rob Hopkins, and this is Imagination Taking Power, a podcast where I share with you conversations, insights, and aha moments on my journey towards writing a book about imagination. Rima Staines is an artist, musician, and illustrator, puppet maker, stop frame animator, clockmaker, theatre designer, and one half of Hedge Spoken with her partner, Tom Hirons. Tom is a writer of poetry and prose and teller of traditional folk tales. Together they created Hedge Spoken, a travelling off-grid storytelling theatre run from a 1966 Bedford R.L. lorry, converted to be a home and go-anywhere stage. On one bumper it says, Vehicle for the Imagination, and on the other, Imagination, Liberation. They travel, present stories, share artworks, having raised the money to convert the vehicle through a crowdfunder. We met one morning at a local cafe with their energetic young son and over the space of a couple of cups of tea we talked imagination, storytelling, the visual arts and much more. I started by asking them to tell me more about Hedge Spoken and how, for them, it acts as a focal point for their work around imagination. You know, when we drive past, when we drive through a town, people just, their mouths drop open and they wave and they smile and they're totally delighted to see something that's so beautiful and unusual um, with all this beautiful writing you know it's it's a home and it's a theatre and it's what is it you know that it's it makes them stop and smile and and that's definitely um and, and in, the, in, the sa- in the same way as Rima's art does it reminds people of something um, and I think what it reminds people of is something that maybe didn't even exist in their lifetime but this the, the whole notion of the traveling show um the itinerant storytellers the um something peculiar and fascinating and kind of self-contained like the truck arriving somewhere and then moving on there's a there's a cultural memory of that being something mm. that is really like the fair coming. It, it is. It's very like the fair. It occupies a very similar space, um, but it's a bit. Um, the fair coming to town is a big, big thing. Whereas this, you know, it's, it's that thing of something coming to the edge of uh, edge of the village or the town and then being gone. Um, whereas the fair might stay for a, a week or something and be this kind of great community event. This is a little bit more like. Um, uh, yeah, glimpsing some, some elves or something at the, at the edge, uh, having some kind of encounter and then, and then gone. Um, but people recognise that, that fires their imagination in a, in a very lovely way. Um, I think, just to, to butt in there, that, that also it's, has a very liminal quality sort of, of the edges, um, in, in, in the sense that many travelling folk do which it, it kind of causes a wariness in people as well but also a, a romance mm. and and uh, that I think awakens in people a sense that they've they've come from elsewhere and with them they've brought news and otherness you know mm. color and ideas and languages and music from somewhere else you know which mm. you, you know, obviously in our day and age that's a totally different experience because we sort of we're, we're so global but but that that memory of, of that magic is still in people and so there's this this kind of lighting up of their hearts with this this otherness coming into town you know. and um, because that has happened people tell us stuff you know because because they know I think that we're 
weird because we're moving on partly but also because we we deal in the currency of the soul in a way with art and words and all that people are often opened in a, in a really humbling way um, to to tell us things about their lives just kind of quite with quite little stories of of things that have happened or, or amazing things that have happened um, and so there seems to be this, this this healing quality of the imagination and connection with the soul um, which seems to be a function of, of the truck as well so it's not just this um, ascendant flighty thing of the imagination it's, it's something very real and human and, and uh, gentle as well. So, beauty there. providing a sort of a portal into that world. Yeah, you yeah. yeah, it is. It totally is. It's a ridiculous thing. The truck. Um, but also, I think because we, you know, the, the the truck itself. You know, we we kind of dreamed it up, and then we made it happen by crowdfunding to raise the money to build it. We we had this preposterous idea that that's sort of essentially ridiculous in a pragmatic world. And yet we told everyone that we want to do this thing, and people gave us money because they went, "Yes, this has to exist." And not, not just this would be really cool. This would be it's really important. And we believe in it. And we want it to exist. And um, and because of that, no, uh, because of that, it it, um, it exists. So it's sort of evidence as it drives around in the world that dreams can be made real um, and made manifest and you know in its kind of preposterousness in its you know um, you know it's, it's very beautiful it's not it's not just sort of functional um, and so yeah I, I think that that kind of it, that causes a reaction in people as well it's like you know, uh, oh, that, that thing that I've been told all my life that, you know, you can't really believe in dreams and imagine it, you know, it's all very well as a kid, but, you know, now we just have to have a job and, you know, a mortgage and, but look, they, you know, they're, they're, it's not just a store, it's, they're, they're parked in the garage, you know, on the supermarket car park, it's like, what? So, yeah, I think, I think that does something to people as well. But it, so it is a story in itself, yeah. the story of Hedgespoken is itself rolling along. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's kind of meta levels of, of itself in it and the, the, the reality of what it's like living on the road with a two-year-old, three-year-old um, and trying to make ends meet and all of that is, is not necessarily a part of the story that's always as interesting. Um, and so we're, we're now trying to find out our way with you know, realising that okay maybe we need a base some of the time uh, living without a safety net is great when everything goes well but not so great when things aren't going well um, so so it's yeah it, the story the story goes on it's, it's um, very interesting phenomenon mm. thing that exists in the world yeah yeah amazing well, they, they came about through story so we, we told this story you know, maybe you've seen the crowdfunder film I don't know uh, a couple of them yeah, it was, we, yeah we told the story of, uh, here we are in the back of this truck there's two starving artists oh I guess they're yeah. like an old yeah, yeah. 20s yeah. film 
and that captured people's imaginations. So the whole the whole thing from the, the beginning of the dreaming to what we're doing now is it was all about story and firing people's imaginations. And I wonder what for you guys how you would assess the state of health of our collective imagination in 2018. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on that? Depends where you go. I mean, in in our in our bubble here right now, I'd say the imagination is pretty well. Mm. Um, people are valuing it in in the creative subculture, as you'd expect, the imagination is, is still valued. Um, but as we were just talking about the, the internet and smartphones and the rise of that kind of technology, uh, I think is um, problematic for the imagination. Mm. We were just talking about how uh, it occupies the same space in us, uh, like in our some kind of soul receptor, um, as the actual imaginal realms. Um, but it's thin and doesn't give us the same nutrition that the actual experience of using the imagination does. Mm. So it's fantasy, I'd say, rather than the imagination, if we can make a some kind of... Uh, yeah, I think of it as, you know, it's a kind of it's a form of travel and, and we have we have this amazing capacity to be able to travel elsewhere in our imagination or in, in our, our sort of spirits can, can be sent off, you know, in a, in a kind of shamanic sense elsewhere, um, which is a, an incredibly vital and um, amazing thing that humans can do and the internet totally fills up that that hole in us because it allows us to travel elsewhere and, and see all kinds of things and uh, endlessly 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 it, you know it, it, it hooks us while we're there and and so we sort of stop trying to do the to do the imagination in, in. traveling um, because that yeah because that, that part of us is is being fed with with um, Junk food, as Tom said, you know, it's not—it's mm. not nutritious, and it doesn't. What we bring back from there doesn't have the same kind of value. Obviously, there's you know interesting stuff on the internet. That's not kind of the point, but yeah, it, it doesn't feed us in the same way. And I guess also the difference is that when you're when someone's telling a story, you you can see who that person is. When you go online, you have no idea quite who the storytellers are and what their motives are in the stories. Yeah. Or where they've got them from. Yeah. yeah. So, so in terms of storytelling, what are the ingredients of a of a good story, of a compelling story, of a story that I remember talking to Martin Martin Shaw and he talked about using sort of communitas, you know, that actually when you're telling a story and you can when people lean into mm -hmm. the story, you know, what are the elements of a of a good story? Do you think? I can't tell you, it's a guild secret. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, but I'd have to kill you. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I don't think that you can reduce it 
this to this is what makes a good story. And people have, have written and spoken about this for centuries. About what what is it that makes a good story? And there's a bare bones way of looking at it. Um, there's a great great book by Robert McKee, um, Story, which analyzes what makes a good story. About that thick. <laughs> um, but there's there's story and then there's storytelling. Uh, when I'm teaching storytelling workshops, which I do every so often, uh, and I try and communicate the little that I've learned. Um, I say there's there's story and there's the storytelling, and all you have to do is know your story really, really, really well, and then tell it really, really, really well. That's all. That's fine. It's easy. Do that. Um, but what makes what makes a good story? A story that is like a flight. You know, talking about um, uh, journeys into the imagination or the imaginal realms. It, it is a flight, and when when you're all in a story, whether that's reading a story out loud or telling a story to an audience or, or, of one or hundreds. Uh, I certainly regard it as we're we're all going on a journey, and there's takeoff, there's being in the air, and then there's landing. And part of my responsibility as a storyteller is to make sure that those two crucial bits, where where the bad stuff can happen in a way if you're on a flight, takeoff and landing, that those are done well and in such a way that everyone comes on that is up there for the all the all the tumult of the story and then comes down safely at the other end with a sense of completion and, and the whole thing being being held and, and coming back so in a way the beginning and the end that's what makes uh, a story well, well completed. The once upon a time and the happy well, we, we have these these formulae, don't we, for uh, signalling that we're going into that other space. And some of those techniques, some of those um, those code words, in a way, um, actually have echoes of. Uh, shamanic techniques in them as well um, so some, some of them for example in this country we have once upon a time is our kind of standard way of going into the story and then at the other end what do we have they all, they all lived happily ever after happily ever after um, and that kind of signals okay are you sitting comfortable yeah. one. okay so something with the body and then once upon a time so in another place so do something with the body, then go off. And then at the end, they all lived happily ever after. That just, everyone knows that it's finished and it's safe. In other cultures, there are very interesting ways um, of opening and closing with stories. And some of them involve, for example, there's, there's one I use occasionally um, that says, uh, uh, once upon a time there was, there was an orchard. 
and in that orchard there is an apple tree. And I was passing by that apple tree this morning on the way here, actually, and I saw that there was a little bead of dew on that apple. And I looked at the bead of dew, and inside that little bead of dew there was a city. And in that city there was a castle. And in that castle there's a king and queen, as there has to be. And the king and queen, they're having a feast. And the cook of the feast is working away at the pots. But in the fold of her apron is a flea. And in the belly of that flea, <laughs> there is a kingdom. And in that kingdom, once upon a time, there was a hunter. And you're off. So you're doing this thing with scale, kind of rolling the imagination through these, this kind of tumbling. And it's kind of unsettling because you haven't got anything to hold on to. You think you're in one realm and then, then you're in the next. Yeah, yeah. So it's a kind of technique of a kind of fire kickstarting the imagination through dragging it through these kind of repetitions of, of different phases. So like that way when you play like Murder in the Dark or something where you blindfold someone and spin them yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Times, exactly. So yeah. What's going on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when, when I talked to Martin Shaw, when I interviewed Martin Shaw, you know, he, has, he talked about. Um, about the skin memory and flesh memory and bone memory mm -hmm. <clears throat> and about how myths are the way that you can tap into that bone memory uh, and using the, the analogy of when you have a chip in a box and you fly the shape, a shadow of a pigeon over it and it's like, what the heck? And then you fly the shape of a, a hawk over it and it goes, shit, you know. And, uh, and so, his, so his thing is that actually when you do, when you're looking at when you want to tap into that bone memory that myth is, is for him is the only way to do that because the myth that's those stories have been told for thousands of years so they resonate with the bone memory but myth is one way I don't think it's the only way but so the thing that I wonder about as someone like in what I do when I travel around and I tell stories about transition mm. and I tell people stories about the future now how do we tell stories about the future that tap into bone memory. How do we tell stories about the change that's happening in the world now that, all, that, that are able to tap into that? Yeah, I, think, I think you have to go to, to bone memory first and then kind of step from there. It's not like you can make something that has bone memory in it. In, the, in that bone memory, if, I, if we're talking the same language, uh, then the kind of answers are in there, really, I think. But they're in not, the, in, 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 the in, in the bone memory, yeah. um, you know, that knowledge of what's, um, Mama. what's harmonious. Yes. And there was a, I watched a video on YouTube where you were talking about the difference between the stories that we tell in a healthy society and the stories that we tell in an unhealthy society. Ah, right. What's the difference? What's all that about? Why? What? What? What are the? Why? Why? Sure it what are the unhealthy? The I'm sure it, did, yeah, it made sense watching it. Yeah. Um, you know, what are the unhealthy stories that we that we tell now? How many have you got? I mean, the, the story of unlimited growth, the the story that we are separate. The, you know, any number of stories about who we are and our place in the world and what it means to be alive. Most of them, it seems, in our mainstream culture are crazy. They're just not, they're not accurate for a start, um, let alone any kind of, looking at them through any moral lens. They're just, they don't, 
they don't make sense. They certainly don't work as stories that take us any closer to any kind of goodness on the whole. Um, they are the kind of stories that we tell ourselves uh, when we know we're deeply the shit, but we want to convince ourselves it's okay. They're rationalisations of our predicament rather than wisdom stories. Mm. Which is terrible. It is an appalling state of affairs. So it's the stories that are sinking us. Do you have to fix the stories before you can fix anything else? Do you? The stories will tell us. Yeah. So what do the healthier stories look like then? What are the stories that a healthy culture tells about? They, um, what kind of stories we tell? <laughs> I think it would be perilous to generalise, but but they are they mirror the complexity of what it is to be a sentient being on the earth, among the earth, alive. Um, they. Part of, part of the difficulty of, of our moment is it seems like we have to create new stories and a lot of my favourite stories are very, very, very old and they've been told and told and told and told and told and shaped by time and culture and changed and they've migrated and become other things and they're constantly evolving but they've got deep, deep, deep roots that go down into that bone and it's that that gives them the juice. So there's this thing, isn't there, at the moment of what are the new stories that we can we can make and what you're saying about how do you connect that, that bone memory level with, with the new stories is the tricky bit because if you make a new story by its nature it hasn't been tumbled in the river for centuries and centuries so it's got um, you know, you can see the, the, the cut marks on it, um, mm. still got the label on it, mm. all the smells of Febreze or Febo. Or, um, uh, there's no way around that. Um, but if you go, to the, go into the bone memory by whatever method you use, I, mean, I do walk into the passage guiding as well and that fasting out on the land that's that's a way to get to bone memory layer um, and then you find that your own self and myth and the land and the wider world are all far more overlayered than you thought when you were up in the, the head world um, so yeah get to bone memory and see what emerges from that the stories, the stories do come there from that. Mm. So I wrote a poem a few years ago, sometimes a wild god, um, which we uh, made into a little book, and that came from bone memory. Um, 
and it's taken off all over the world. It's mental. Um, it largely keeps us in bread and butter and um, keeps the truck wheels turning. Uh, and part of being creative is trusting that what you bring back from those bone memory places when you don't filter it through what you think is going to work or appropriate all of that is, um, is going to be of value um, and that's going, to, that's going to success story that one isn't it of, right, okay go there bring something back here we are and people go that's, that's got the juice mm. they can tell because everyone can they don't necessarily always know how to because we do accept the toxic mimic um, but when they come across something that it is, it's got the gold and juice, it's like, ah, yeah, it's that thing Rima was saying of, yeah. I remember that, that, that reminds me of something uh, that I didn't quite know, and that's because it's the, the soul's world. I think, yeah, um, we're just magnetising spoons and things, and bits on the bike. Yeah. It's important work. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that as the person, I didn't catch the beginning of what you were saying there, but as the person making the thing that that causes that kind of um, recognition in people, it's necessary for you yourself to to be able to trust the that you're getting material from that place, and and that it, you need to keep going there. You need to you know have a practice that that whatever that is, whether that's painting or walking or praying or you know your particular way of, of going to that place so that you can learn to trust the um, what comes mm. from there um, because it's it's hard to to distinguish you know when you're sort of in this day and in this body and in this mind of, of everyday stuff to distinguish as you're as you're creating something what's me and my ideas and thoughts not that they're totally irrelevant either because they they help to craft a thing um but the the, the lifeblood of it somehow comes from that soul world and um and that does take practice i've noticed that you get better you get better at trusting something that might feel a bit weird or or unfamiliar or but it's it's come through it's quite quite kind of strong and and for me you know although i work in Stories are really quite intrinsic to what I do as well. I, I feel like I'm kind of speaking in a different language, and that's a that's a visual language. Um, uh, yeah, one of imagery, so it's it's kind of communicates on a slightly different, goes in in a different place for people. Um, but essentially, is doing a similar sort of thing. So you mentioned that you are planning to do. You've got a workshop coming up with artists about how to how to reach. That touch into that place, yeah. affect that place. What, what are the sort of, what will you be covering on that? What well, techniques or yeah, what approaches? So the, the, it's been a, a long time that I've been making my my paintings, uh, and um, I yeah, I've um, noticed through observing the kind of the way that people respond to my work that there's a kind of um, uh, people have quite strong reactions. I used to, some years ago, I used to travel around 
um, the country in, a, in another truck that um, I lived in and um, sell my work on the street. So I used to display my paintings on just on a high street, sort of leaning against the wall. So you would get just whoever was walking past on a, on a high street in a random town <clears throat> so that the audience wasn't at all tailored to sort of mm. expect or particularly necessarily like what I was offering and it was kind of it was really quite raw and full on because you got people um, just having very <coughs> um, honest responses and some people kind of looked at it briefly and recoiled and went oh I wouldn't want one of those on my wall and some people were very drawn in and fascinated and oh wow you know and wanted to talk to me about mm. it and they, and they want to know what what it is you know they want an explanation and they invariably the question everyone asks is where do you get your ideas from and they, I think they want some kind of answer that will explain the feeling they're having and and they 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 say things like oh it reminds me of something it reminds me of I can't really find the words it's like it's like something from childhood but not quite that and it's it's a deep familiarity that, that sometimes makes people cry um, and they when they're when they're sort of moved in a, in a warm way by it which is not everyone is um, and it's there's this kind of conversation has happened so many times now that I've started to think about what it is I'm actually doing and I, I started to describe my paintings as way markers to the other world because it feels like they they um, they open doors for people in, inside themselves and they, they, they are ways through to some other place which is um, is what you might call the imagination or you might call it fairy or you might call it another world of spirit or you know there are many many names for it um, but I think it's vital that we as human beings have um, access to that place, you know, and, th and there are people who are who who go there more often, or who have that the doors are op open more freely for them somehow. Mm. Um, and and what they bring back from their they, their work, you know, their, whether it's paintings or art of whatever form, is is a kind of communication, and then it's that then that is for everyone else to, to be able to help them open those doors for themselves I think um, and so my workshop is, uh, is is called iconography of the other world it's for, it's for artists so people who already have a, a practice of, of making images and, and working in that in that way um, but it, the hope is that we kind of foster a kind of that that pathway to that other place that we that we can build it up and that we can we can find ways to be able to go there um, and so and, and so that, that that quality feeds our work and I think if it if it's truly there then the, then the work you create has has real power and, and people notice it because they can smell it in the, in the work and that, you know I know that when I do a painting that really has that quality which isn't every painting you know some, sometimes it doesn't um, uh, I, I can tell you know and, I, and I, other people do too so it's 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 quite hard to put into words actually so it's going to be interesting to see how the how the um, workshop goes because it's it's not the, the language that I'm operating in but I'm I'm really interested in um, exploring that that process you know what what is it, what is it how how is it that um, I access the imagination and 
who are these characters that just appear on my paper and you know that, that kind of step through that it really has that sense that's like well hello um, yeah and if and if there's a if there's a set of conditions that you can identify that, that make it more possible to connect to that yeah. you, can you also identify the, the conditions that close that down you know, why um, is it that people really struggle to be to all sort of, you know, people feel less connected well, to being able to do that well for a start we're told in our culture that it, it's not real so you, it's alright to have an imagination as a child but when obviously children are really really good at it but at some point you learn that it's not okay anymore to, to see things that aren't really there and, and th you know imagine things that aren't supposedly really there and um, that, and you know even subjects like art and, and you know the, the creative subjects in, in schools are not they're not on the same level as you know science is like the, the kind of the religion of you know the, this is once you become an adult or you know you, you have to sort of knuckle down and, and get with the kind of program of you know what's sensible you know and being an artist is all very well but it's not a proper career and you know being you know having an imagination is all right for children but at some point it's it's not okay and it's not it stops being real at some at some point I think people um, don't really believe that it that you can dream of something and it's actually it can be possible which which applies both in a sort of fantastical sense but also in a in a sense of what you do in your life you know that that you you can't have dreams and do amazing things because you have to you have to kind of narrow it down. And school is kind of quite a major yeah. part to play in. That. Yeah, I think so. Um, but it's just it's very much in the, in the culture. So so it's so a lot of people say to me, oh, I loved art when I was young, but you know I didn't carry on, and it's sort of atrophies. You know that part of people which you know we all have mm. uh, really quite strongly as children. Um, it just dries up if it's not used, um, and so, so, yeah. In order to kind of keep keep that open, it's it has to be has to be accessed, has to be used. So that's that's partly it. Um, you know, in, in cultures where there's a much more sort of pragmatic belief in in, in the sort of everyday otherness, you know, of of beings being there and, and of, of objects and plants and animals having souls you know the, the kind of language that we share with the world and not just other human beings you know that that aliveness of the all around all around us is is gone from from western society pretty much and, um, and when we live in it feels like when we live in a time when we're seeing such a contraction of diversity in the natural world around us yes and, you know half the half the creatures lost during my lifetime. Yeah. You know, does that have an impact on as well, do you think, on our ability to connect with that sort of natural Yeah, I mean because that you know and it you know I imagine you had this conversation with Robert McFarlane about the, the languages and the names for things, you know, that they're also dying. So there's like a an extinction of not only species of plants and animals but ideas that come in in words so it's, it's like we, we're forgetting how to communicate with the other you know whatever kind of other it is whether it's an animal or an insect or a place or a spirit um, 
it's it's totally connected. Yes, mm. I think I think so. It's a kind of it's a kind of death, you know, that that that, that imaginal world, you know, it's it's alive in nature. That that you know that that otherness and that that magic, that kind of thing that's not quite one thing, not quite another. You know, it's it's very alive. You know, and as it is in us, but but we try our best as we go along to shut it down. Like I was just saying. And can, and can visual can visual art tap into bone memory in the same way that story? Can? Totally, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the same way as I was describing that kind of that familiarity and that that memory that people experience when you know it, it's helpful for people sometimes. I think because it's not in language, and we're so uh, we we're so sort of in in that part of our brain that uses language and is is very. Um, Sort of analytical. Um, it's sometimes hard, unless unless you're talking about poetry or storytelling, uh, to use language to to get to that other place um, and have you know access that bone memory. Unless it, you know, it's, it's obviously with beautiful language, it's it's totally possible. Um, but we because we're also using it every day. Um, and we're also using imagery. Every, you know, we're bombarded with imagery, but um, I think I don't think people are so uh, sort of on the whole. They don't think they're so fluent in the language of imagery, which is partly to do with what they've been told. But um, they they can stand at a painting with no sort of previous expectations or ideas about what it might be about. I mean, they think they don't know what it's about, and and. And yet, it can touch them on some other level that sort of goes past words. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, it's you know all art forms can can do it and are really important for doing that. There are so many different kinds of imagination as well, which I find interesting. Kind of looking at, yeah, talking about that kind of that, the real ascent of that flighty imagination, that kind of wide vision, and that kind of totally un, unrooted thing, and then the, the kind of imagination of Martin's term to that kind of imagination. They, they, they have something in common but they also pull us apart as well. Um, and I think what, what I see happening at the moment is a kind of fetishizing of the imagination as, as the thing, you know, it's the magic bullet. Because that's what we keep looking for. Where have we gone wrong? Um, the imagination is fertile territory for that at the moment, and that's great because it needs, needs help. Um, but in a way, it could be said that where we are now is not a result of too little imagination. It's could be said to be a result of embodied imagination. Miffy bombs, Miffy Tilly. Miffy bombs. Yeah, I mean, that sort of goes into the question about whether imagination is sort of is fundamentally a positive. Good thing. Mm -hmm. So we say, well, so is Donald Trump really imaginative? And you say, yeah. And for me, it's like, well, 
kind of, but at the same time it's filtered through a really deeply damaged, traumatised experience of life and a really sort of really broken... But actually when you know when kids are brought up in a way where the imagination's flourished and they're loved and well nourished and cared for and stuff, they don't generally end up like that. Mm. You know, if if you go to a playgroup and there's a kid sitting there saying that, that all the girls have to go outside and only the white kids can play with them and stuff, you think they're sort of really deeply damaged with this child. But by the time they're seventy, then you elect him to be a president. Do you know what I mean? And you just say, Well he's really imaginative. Yeah. But actually maybe he's a really damaged person and his imagination is sort of filtered through that. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a it's a quality, but it's not necessarily the, the be all and end all. So I was just thinking about um, in Chinese medicine. Uh, there's in, in some traditions of Chinese medicine, um, there, there are said to be uh, numerous spirits that live in our various organs. And there are some spirits of the liver called the hun. And they, they are the, the aspect of the human spirit that can be uh, sent out of the body and trapped when you're dreaming or uh, when you're imagining things or when you're doing shamanic work or all that kind of stuff. The hood flies off. Yeah? And in a, a healthy, balanced person, it is mobile, but it comes back. Yeah. Uh, so it goes off, does, it, does its thing, comes back to the body, and then it's rooted. <laughs> um, and in that model, there is also the possibility of it being over mobile and it just being out there all the time because, for one reason or another, the, the bodily health isn't right for it to come back and settle. And so you have this over mobile hun which is the just kind of not rooted in this reality at all, just off, um, which is seen as just as pathological as the women not being able to move out of the body okay. and having no imagination. So, and, and the question I asked everybody that I've spoken to, which was, which I, you know, the, mm. the question about. So, I asked if, if, if you had been elected as the prime minister in the last election, uh -huh. and you'd run under a make Britain imaginative again platform, <laughs> and you recognised that there was a that in education and in work life and in, in many people's lives, there's no space for it at all. Sort of rather squished. What might you do in your first hundred days if you really wanted to reprioritize and strengthen the relation of imagination? Kill the internet. Yeah. Just switch it off. That's day one. Day two, maybe give people a chance to download. Get all their photos back that you've just deleted. Um, yeah. Say goodbye to old girlfriends for the last time. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably, uh, I, I, I haven't got I haven't got a fully formed um, idea about schooling yet, since our son's only three. Um, but I suspect that starting kids at school much later would, you know, if they're going to do school. Um, would be um, a really good idea because there's this, you know, this precious time sort of before seven. You know, in, in other European countries, the kids don't go to school till they're that kind of age. 
when when that imaginative self is really really alive um, and sort of not squash it too soon. Um, and then when you do get to the whole education thing, you know, just really obvious stuff like uh, you know with really valuing all the, the arts and music and, and the story and the um, and and where where children's leanings go. Um, it's not particularly revolutionary though. So. Um, I mean, just as a start, maybe. That's what they do in Finland. So yeah. They start learning anything to those play to their seven. And and you know and some some way of of ensuring people's relationship with the natural world is is a kind of real and, and daily you know relate alive relationship mm. you know, so that people can can communicate with that with the world with the world um, in a very real way and, and, and learn that that's that's important you know that there's wisdom so, so in in the space left by um, the ban of switching off with the internet um, people are going to have a lot more time on their hands they're going to be twiddling their thumbs like mad crazy with um, internet withdrawal um, so uh, Scores of itinerant storytellers who have been trained, waiting, yeah, trained yeah. in some yeah, semi yeah. army uh, yeah, yeah. training centre. Huge um, hangers full of them. The firebird has landed. Bring out the storytellers. In old green goddesses, like yeah, exactly. you know, the, yeah, when the when the firemen was were. When the fire oh, yeah, service on strike, they bring the old green, green goddesses out. Yeah, yeah. Our truck is built on the same chassis as a green goddess, so yeah, it's clearly it's like what the same it's thing. meant yeah, to That's be. what they were, there's just a horrible <laughs> misunderstanding somewhere <laughs> along the way. They're <laughs> 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 bringing the green goddess in, in the bloody fire <laughs> engine. <laughs> <laughs> the green goddess! <laughs> the elemental yeah, storytellers. <laughs> so yeah, we sent out the storytellers and... Um, yeah. Just, just yeah. absolutely layer on story upon story, yeah. story reading of all done. sorts, Dog. silly stories, entertaining stories, morality stories, trickster stories, deep stories, both memory stories, totally superficial gossip, scaremongering, lies, all of that, um, and uh, allow that to, to bubble in. Um, also, eliminate drudgery. Places, Drudgery places surely is not an ally Dave. with the imagination. Uh, so anything that's drudgery doesn't get done anymore. That's my so my grass is just going to grow to about 40 feet tall. Is that drudgery? There probably have to be some kind of compulsory rehabilitation to turn work into pleasure. Yeah, a mad mind. totalitarian storytelling regime. Yeah, <laughs> so, like North Korea, <laughs> run by Brian Kant. <laughs> Sometimes he pulled him along the lead, made a string like a real thing. Yeah, yeah. And it was cold. Yeah, you sold it to me. Yeah, good storytelling name. <laughs> Great. Thank now you. and again, Dave's mum said. That any last? Any last? Imagine related thoughts. Before I, um, to a close? I started thinking about this kind of. She showed Dave how to wash them in a bowl of soapy water. 
This thing of different aspects of the imagination. As we're kind of beginning to talk about there being some kind of discrimination between healthy imagination and I was thinking just how how it would look to to nurture the imagination of different quarters of our our lives in a way. So kind of there's a kind of imagination just sheer joy dreaming. There's a kind of imagination which is like when you do improv or something. Yeah, yeah, totally playful. Just just for the fun of it. And there's a kind of imagination that's the the language and tools of soul work. You know, if you can navigate your inner world, describe it, understand it using the, the way of the imagination, then that seems to have value. And there's kind of imagination that's uh, more scientific, so that kind of when you were talking about at the beginning, the, um, the creativity test. Yeah, that's kind of, <coughs> it's kind of problem solving imagination. Um, and it could be uh, put into the shape of that being kind of service imagination. How do we uh, make things better? Because imagination, imagination and hope as well, they, they've got something in common. They? They're not the same, but they're, they're definitely cousins if you're closer. You can't have hope if you haven't got any imagination. Um, that kind of service imagination up there. And then that the vision imagination, the, the wide soaring, uh, new, new paradigm or new synthesis of old stuff, um, but the kind of imagination that's, yeah, looking down over things and going, this, yeah. Um, they're all different kinds of imagination, so, so our language to speak about the imagination is quite, quite clunky on the whole, you know, when you speak about it as one it is this multifaceted thing. I enjoy looking at things in that kind of circle. That holistic approach is what has been lost. Imagination It just just reminded me of Embercoom. They have. You know, lots of different kind of roles that people take, take take turns occupying, and one of those, which is a sort of vital part of the circle, is is the dreamer, is the the person who whose job it is to do the dreaming, um, which I really like. You know, I don't I don't know much a lot about their you know systems and ways of operating, but I I do like that so kind of idea. Do you need you know? a wee love? Yeah. No, I don't. Um, all right, I'll come sure with you. You? But yeah, it just it just kind of reminded me that of one that person every day has the sense. The role yeah, that's, that that it's it's given value, um, and it's get, someone's given it as a job. <laughs>